Great. Now, apologies if you weren't here last week, uh, because this week we're unpacking what last week's sermon was about. But it's okay, because it's not that difficult. If you look back to last, the, the last passage that we were thinking about, um, we saw last week that Jesus is teaching in this section of Mark, from Mark chapter 8 to chapter 10, Jesus is teaching he's going to die on a cross. Okay, three times he says it, I'm going to die, I'm going to suffer and die. But not just suffer and die, he also says he's going to rise again. The suffering and the resurrection of Jesus. They're kind of the key theme running through this chunk. Everything is built on that foundation. Last week we talked about Kaplunk. Those are the key straws in the game of Kaplunk. If you don't know what I'm talking about, don't worry. Those are the ones, if you remove that, everything falls away. All the marbles fall out of your life. If you remove those two things. The death and the resurrection of Jesus. They're the foundation. And that's kind of underlying all of Mark. But then you get these words. Verse 34 of chapter 8. Then Jesus called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. That's what it means. So Jesus says, I'm going to a cross to suffer and die and then rise again. Now, if you want to be my disciple, you follow me. And that's what we began to see last week. But here's the question. What does it mean to deny yourself? What does that really look like? Does that mean that I get to Lent and I say, okay, no chocolate. I'm going to have no chocolate. No, it's way bigger than that. That's what we're going to see. And the question what does it mean to deny yourself, runs through the whole of these chapters. Jesus is teaching his disciples to deny themselves. Now, we've called the series, Not So With You. This whole chunk of Mark we called Not So With You, which I think uh, last week I didn't really explain why we've called it that. It seems slightly puzzling. It comes from um, later on in chapter 10. Just flick over one page to, to Mark chapter 10. This is right towards the end of this chunk that we're doing. Mark chapter 10, um, verse 42. Jesus called his disciples together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. Okay, so Jesus is saying, you want to follow me? You want to live my life? You want to be a disciple? You want to know what it really means to be a Christian? It means not so with you. Not like that, but like this. And Jesus is going to explain to us what does it mean to live this radical, self-denying life. And let me say to you, I'm going to read the passage we're looking at today. In this passage, Jesus is talking about denying something which is perhaps the most difficult, challenging thing for us to deny in the culture in which we live. So let me read the passage and then we're going to dive into it and understand it, I hope, together. So we're going to go from Mark chapter 9, verse 14. Jesus has been up on a mountain. He's been transformed into this staggeringly awesome being. They've seen a glimpse of who he truly is. He's come back down the mountain. Look at verse 14. When they came to the other disciples... They saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who's possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. 
I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. And when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered, it has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind can only come out by prayer. This is what Jesus is teaching in this chunk. He's teaching his disciples about what it means to be self-denying. And I want to apply that to us this afternoon. And particularly I want to apply it to Phil. I want to charge Phil as he starts this role as an assistant pastor, very specifically this afternoon. But it applies to all of us. And here is the charge. Here is the, here is the command from Jesus. Put to death self-confidence. Self-reliance. You must deny yourself. You must deny yourself your own ability, your own confidence. That's, that's what Jesus is teaching. It's a bit like we saw when, when those words we had on the screen for Phil's commissioning earlier. Apart from me, Jesus says, you can do nothing. That's the point of this story. Apart from Jesus, you can do nothing. And it might be that you read this story and you say, well, you know, the disciples, they were a bit rubbish, weren't they? Jesus was up the mountain, oh, he comes down, they made a right old mess of things. But it was probably just them, it wasn't. In fact, God's people have a habit of doing this. There was another time when a man went up a mountain. His name was Moses. He was the leader of God's people. He went up on the mountain. He had an extraordinary experience of God on the mountain. And when he came back down the mountain, what did he find God's people doing? Okay, they rejected They'd rejected the Lord and what the Lord said. They'd made this gold calf and they said, here is the gods who brought you out of Egypt. So Moses comes down the mountain and finds the people doing a complete hash of what they're supposed to be doing. Interesting, as Moses comes down the mountain, his face is radiant with the glory of God. It is overwhelmingly wonderful as, as he comes down. And there's this clash between the complete ineptitude of the people and the glory of God and now here is Jesus coming down the mountain and he's confronted immediately with the utter failure of his people and I wonder if Mark expects us to remember Moses 
Look at the little comment in verse 15. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. They can see it. There's something about Jesus which is overwhelmingly wonderful. And I want to try and show you this afternoon that you have to see the overwhelming wonder of Jesus. You have to see that if Jesus was on top of a mountain, you've got no hope. The only hope you've got is that Jesus came back down the mountain. If Jesus had gone up the mountain, left you, said, off you go, we'd have no hope. So let's get into this story and uh, let's, let's see it together. What's going on? Jesus, uh, in verse 16, says, what are you arguing with them about? And the disciples don't say anything. It's the man in the crowd who has to tell them what's going on. Teacher, I bought you my son who's possessed by a spirit that's robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. That is like, can't you feel can't you imagine the disciples, you know, in later years, reading Mark's gospel, going, oh, it's a shame that one's there. Why did, why did we have to leave that one? Couldn't we have had the nice ones? But they could not. Now, just, just think for a start, right? This man, think of the devastating situation this man is in. His precious little boy is possessed by an evil spirit. Now, let's make no mistake about this, okay? The Bible knows the difference between mental illness and spiritual attack. There is an evil world, there is an evil spirit who has control of this child. Now, as a father, that is a devastating thing to try and imagine. And we discover that he's been like that from childhood. From childhood, the little boy has been gripped by this spirit. That is a devastating situation. And he's powerless. And he brings the boy to Jesus. But Jesus is up the mountain. Jesus isn't there. But you can imagine the disciples, right? The disciples are going, Oh, look. It's an evil spirit. We're good at these. And they were. In fact, back in, in kind of Mark chapter 6, they'd gone all over the place. Listen to this. Mark chapter 6, verse 12. They went out and preached the people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed with oil many people who were ill and healed them. They're like, here he is. Okay, this is, Jesus isn't here, but don't worry. We can do this. There must have been a bit of sort of, you, you know, um, I, I used to want to be a doctor. Um, when, I was, when I was younger. And the reason I stopped wanting to be a doctor was when I realised that the only reason I wanted to be a doctor, and I, 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 th- I think this is genuinely true, the only reason I wanted to be a doctor was because, you know when there's been an accident and uh, people come and they go, let me through, I'm a doctor. <laughs> that to me was just like the most heroic thing anyone could ever say. And I wanted to be able to say that. That was my reason for wanting to study medicine. That's why I stopped wanting to study medicine, because that's a poor reason to study medicine. But there is that sense of, let me through, I'm a disciple. Come on, let me through. Clear the way, stand back, get out of the way. 
We can do this. And you can imagine them. They've done it before. They just go through the same stuff. I command you, Holy Spirit, uh, not Holy Spirit, Evil Spirit. Ho- evil Spirit, I command, <laughs> sorry, my mistake. <laughs> evil Spirit, I command you, come out of him. And nothing happens. And it all get, you know, you imagine the crowd all standing there going, this is, a, this is actually quite embarrassing. You know, these guys think they can do it and they can't. This is really, really embarrassing. And eventually they have to admit they can't do it. You know, which of the disciples was the first to say, I'm, I'm really sorry, we, we can't do it. And then there's this big argument that all breaks out. It's a terribly ugly scene. Now I think those words, I can't do it, are incredibly hard for our culture to say. We are training our kids to say, I can, I can, I can. So we will have, we will make TV programs where the catchphrase is, can we do it? Yes, we can. You know, imagine if they've got a, they should make another version of that. Bob the Loser. He goes, can you do it? No, not really. Not, not so much. But it doesn't work because it doesn't, Because we're so, we want to be able to say, yes, I can, I can do it. And this is genuinely so firmly rooted in us. I want to be able to achieve my potential. I want to be able to do everything I can. I want to be able to be all that I want to be. I want to be able to do whatever I want to do. Now, apologies to those of you who've heard this before, but I I don't know a better way of explaining this. Um, There's a song. Um, and I, I know I've done it before, but, but it's, it, it makes the point. Uh, it was a song that I heard first at a school assembly. And it was, uh, it was being sung by a school choir. I was sitting listening. And um, it was a very moving, beautiful song. And uh, I, I, thought, I, I thought I might have a go at recreating the moment uh, this afternoon for you. So you can see that the emotion that was built into it. But I want you to listen to the words of this song. Okay, I'm not sure if I can remember them all. But uh, it was... It okay, here we go. <clears throat> when I look up to the sky... You've got to mention on 10. I can see the sky shining And I feel... A yearning in my soul Deep inside there's something nice I'm making these words up And it drives me onward And I can feel I'm reaching for my goal Okay, this is the chorus. This is the bit I know, right? This is the bit I know. I can do anything at all. Is there any reverb? <laughs> to guide me I can feel a burning in my soul. And this thing goes, okay, okay, okay. I can be anything I choose with this dream inside to guide. And this is the important bit. Now, as, as long as I believe in me. Uh, it goes on that. It's very beautiful, right? And they sang it very beautifully. Now. If you thought it was embarrassing for the disciples when they couldn't cast out the demons, I sensed a similar feel, all right? 
a general cringe he's singing. This is so embarrassing. <laughs> now, look. Here was the point, right? The, these kids sang it, and they sang it with their... With their oh, they, they were singing with their eyes open, and they were singing with such joy. And uh, all the parents were listening. And when I looked around at the end, what were the parents doing? All of them. Crying. crying. All of them. All of them crying. Head teacher was crying. Teachers were crying. Everyone was crying. And, and I found myself actually feeling really, really angry. And I'll tell you why. It's because the song isn't true. It isn't true. And I saw these kids singing, I can do anything I want, I can be anything I choose. And I thought, that's not true. As long as I believe in me. So here's the point, right? When they fail, whose fault is it? Theirs, because they didn't believe in themselves. And our culture is bought into this lie of self confidence, self-reliance, as long as I can do, as long as I can be everything I want to be, I can do anything. You watch the Olympics, and honestly, the number of people, they finish a race, and they go, this just proves anyone can do anything. I'm like, no, it doesn't. It proves that you're a really good athlete. I could have spent my whole life training to be a gymnast, and it would not have happened, right? It's not true that anyone can do anything. And I looked at those kids and I thought, in, in a few years' time, those kids, so many of them, if they really believe this song is true, are going to be disappointed, fed up, and destroyed by life. That isn't true. And here is Jesus in Mark chapter 9 showing us, you can't do everything. There are things that you can't do. The disciples were faced with something that they could not do. It was beyond them. It was too strong for them. It was too powerful for them. There are things you cannot do. Now, I appreciate that in our culture, that's not a very nice message. But let me tell you, that is a liberating message. It's so liberating to know that there are things I can't do. Because if, if basically I could have done anything, <laughs> that's depressing. When I get to... You know, I'm 40 in a few weeks' time, and I'm going to mention that most weeks, by the way, in case you hadn't noticed. And, uh, and you look back and you think, well, you know, I could have been so much more. If only I'd believed. There are things you can't do. That's what the disciples needed to learn. And yet our culture is obsessed with saying, I can do anything and I can be anything. Have a look at verse 19 then. Jesus' response is very strong. This is what Jesus would say looking at our culture now. You unbelieving generation. See, what's going on here is not, it's not just, oh, that's a shame, it's a nice sentimental thing. It is an unbelief. Unbelief means not just to say, oh, I don't believe that. Unbelief means to say, I'm going to place my faith in myself rather than in the God who made me. Unbelief means to say, I'm going to have self-confidence rather than God-confidence. Unbelief. I will not believe, I will not trust, I will not lean on God. These disciples were acting in unbelief because they thought they could do it themselves. And Jesus is, you can feel his pain. I don't think he's being kind of like, Grumpy and strobby. How long have I got to put with you? I think it's a kind of, there's an anguish. How long? Why won't you trust me? And then I love this. 
bring the boy to me. Isn't that beautiful? Bring him to me, Jesus says. Stop pretending that you can do it all. Bring the boy to me. So they brought the boy to Jesus. Now look at verse 20. See what happens. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered, it's often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. Okay, we are dealing with an extraordinarily powerful evil force. And there's a demonstration, not just a man over-exaggerating, you know, taking him to the doctor and going, oh, he's really, really sick and it's terrible, I need the next time off work. He's, this is serious. And when the spirit sees Jesus, it's like, here's Jesus, the great enemy of the devil. Here's the boy with the spirit and the spirit kind of goes crazy when it sees Jesus. Throws the boy to the ground. And you see the devastating power. I want you to know this, okay? There is an evil at work in our world. It isn't necessarily always seen in exactly this way, but it is seen. There is, a, there is a devil, an enemy, who is not all powerful, but is very powerful. And I want you to know that his desire is not for your good, but is to destroy you. That was the devil's desire for this boy. It wanted to throw the boy into fire or to kill him. Can you imagine your child constantly under threat? You'd have to watch the child all the time, all the time because the spirit might try and destroy your child. You see? So I kind of want to say to you, when you feel like you're too weak, when you feel like life is too hard, when you feel like perhaps there's a battle that you have with sin in your life or there's a struggle that you face or there's a situation you face and you think, this is too hard. You're right. It is too hard. It is too big. It is too difficult. There are things that you can't do. And we need to face up to that. Face up to that reality. It's humbling though, isn't it? We don't like it, but it's humbling. But now look what happens, okay? So that's the, that's the kind of, the situation's all been set up. Now look what happens. Uh, my next point, if I'd had points, would be something about the dangerous word if. Okay, the danger of the word if. So look at, look at uh, what this man says. If you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus hears this word, if, and he's like, if, if, if you can. Everything is possible for one who believes, right? If is the word of doubt. If is the word of, oh, I'm not sure, I'm not sure. There's another man called Gideon. He, he said a very similar thing. He'd been sent to fight this big army. And he said to God, if you can do this, then please give me a sign. And we have this Constant kind of, if God, can God, oh, not sure. Will God really be able, is God strong enough? Is God able to help me in this situation? I know he's powerful, but not this powerful, surely. Look at Jesus. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for the one who believes. 
So if if is a dangerous word, here comes the prayer that Jesus loves to answer. And this is the heart of it. If you've fallen asleep, if you're struggling to concentrate, this is the heart of it, right? Here is the prayer that Jesus loves to answer. I do believe, the the man said, help me overcome my unbelief. Can't you feel the kind of ache in the man's heart? Jesus, I do believe, I do believe you're able, but to be honest, Jesus, there's a big part of me that doesn't. And I feel this wrestle within me. I feel this tension. I feel pulled in different directions. I don't know, Jesus. I don't know. Please help me. Right, here's the thing, Kate. The word if is only a bad if. If, (laughs) you following this? The word if is only a bad if, if it drives you away from Jesus. The word if is a great word if it drives you to him. There are two ways to respond to doubt. I reckon most of us, if you're a Christian here, you feel really bad that you doubt Jesus. You know, how many of us... Come on, let's be honest, right? Don't you sometimes doubt? Perhaps you even sit and you think, I don't even know if God exists. I don't know anything. I don't know, I don't know whether Jesus could really love me. I don't know if he's powerful enough for me. I don't know if I'm kind of completely like crazy and like I don't know what I'm doing. I, we have all sorts of doubts. And all of us will have different doubts, but all of us have this kind of if monster that kind of rises up. And often the if monster rises at the most difficult times when you really need to be strong in your faith. Suddenly there's this kind of if, 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 if. And it kind of grows in your mind and it feels con- just feels overwhelming. I want to tell you something. This is really important. Doubt is not a problem. Doubt is not a sin. Doubt, there's nothing wrong with doubt. Just depends what you do with it. Doubt will either drive you to Jesus or it will drive you away from him. And here is this man and his doubt, don't you see? His doubt is the very thing that drives him to Jesus and makes him fall before Jesus and say, please help me. I can't even believe. I don't even have the power to believe in you, let alone to cast out the demon from my son. I can't do anything. Can't you picture Jesus' face? Don't you think Jesus, we don't know, but don't you think Jesus' face broke into a big smile? (laughs) As he saw this man wrestling, struggling to believe. And look what it says. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said. I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said he's dead, but Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him to his feet and stood up. There's the power of Jesus. Such power. The disciples couldn't do anything. They tried all sorts of stuff, and they couldn't do anything. Jesus, with one word, commands the evil spirit's gone. Jesus has the power. And Jesus loves to respond to that prayer. Please help me overcome my unbelief. 
So this afternoon, if you're sitting here and you're really struggling and you're really doubting and you're really fighting and you're thinking, I don't, I don't know, I don't know what to believe, let it drive you to him, not away from him. Won't you? Run to him. Run to him and say, Jesus, I want you to help me believe. I can't even believe in you. Jesus loves to answer that prayer. It's a prayer that Jesus loves to answer. That bloke Gideon I mentioned, Gideon gets a bad press. Because Gideon said to God, if you will save me, then you need to make this bit of fleece wet and this bit dry. And God does it. And then he says, ah, I want you to do it again, do it the other way around. And people go, oh, Gideon should have just trusted God. Rubbish. Gideon was trusting. He was fighting to trust God. There's a battle to trust. God doesn't say to him, you nasty little man. Just like Jesus doesn't say, you nasty little doubting man. How dare you doubt me? Jesus sees the tiny little seed of faith and he says, oh, you precious, precious child. Of course I'll help you. You have to understand that if is not a problem, if it drives you to Jesus. But of course, the story ends with Jesus giving his disciples the lesson that he was really trying to teach them. And this comes back to where we started. After Jesus has gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? And Jesus said, this kind can come out only by prayer. They're still puzzled. They're still thinking, why did we do it wrong? What was wrong? And Jesus said, did, did, it not even cons- did you not even consider that you needed to pray? Did you not even consider that you couldn't do it on your own? You needed help. And as we finish this afternoon, I, here's the first big lesson in self-denial. It's learning to not deny your self-confidence, your self-reliance. And that will be seen in how you pray. You ask him for help. Jesus, please help me. You go in through the office door. Jesus, I can't even do this today in a way which brings you glory. Please help me. And remember, underlying this whole section of Mark is the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And that is why Jesus is able to help you. Jesus is the only one who's able to forgive your sin. He's the only one who's able to deal with death. He's the only one who is able to bring you safely through death to eternal life. You've got to trust him. And we've got to stop singing these silly songs about ourselves. And we need to sing more about Jesus. Lord, we believe. Please help us overcome our unbelief. That's what we need as a church. And Phil, if you're going to be an assistant pastor who is any use at all to Jesus, it starts by knowing that you're no use and that he will use you when you recognize that. And that's what we need. Not self-reliance, utter dependence on Jesus. We cannot do it, but he can. So we're going to uh, take some time to respond I realize this is pretty hard, hard stuff. It goes, flies against the face of our culture. And yet I do want to say there's great freedom here. Great freedom. And maybe even this afternoon, you just want to take that prayer. I believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. He died so that he could 
gives you power for all that you need. But we're going to sing. We're going to sing a few songs. Um, and what I'm going to suggest is we just sing these songs straight through. Um, feel free to either sit or to stand or to pray. You know, maybe that you want to stay sitting down and just think about the words, think about it, you know, not necessarily belting these songs out. Or you may want to sing them out because you're excited about trusting Jesus and it's such good news that it doesn't depend on you. Let's, let's just use this time however you want to respond. But we're going to start by singing, um, this is amazing grace. Who breaks the power? Only Jesus breaks the power of, uh, of sin and of death. So why don't we uh, sing together and use these songs to respond? <laughs>